Welcome to the latest episode of the Theology Matters podcast, continuing with the current series on religion and economic inequality. I'm Josh Malden, and with me today on the podcast is Daniel Finn, who is Professor of Theology and Clemens Professor of Economics at St. John's University in Minnesota. Dan has written a vast number of articles and books that examine a range of topics, especially at the intersection of economics and theology. Among the many books he's written include Distant Markets, Distant Harms, Market Complicity and Christian Ethics, published by Oxford University Press, and Christian Economic Ethics, History and Implications, published by Fortress Press. Dan's been involved in CTI's program on religion and economic inequality for a number of years now, and in the following podcast, I had a chance to catch up with him on the topic and on how he sees this issue, especially now in light of the coronavirus pandemic. We welcome your questions and comments by email at editor at ctinquiry.org. Thanks for joining the conversation. I'm here with Daniel Finn, and we're in conversation. Dan, you're in Minnesota. I'm in New Jersey, but we're able to talk uh, via Zoom. Uh, so it's great to have you on the Theology Matters podcast today. As a first question, I wanted to talk to you about your own work in theology and economics. You're a professor of both economics and theology. How did that come about, just in terms of biographically? Were you initially studying economics and then went to theology, or were you always doing both at the same time? Well, no, I was in the seminary preparing for a Catholic priesthood for 10 years, high school, college, and two years of major seminary. And then when I decided to leave, um, I knew that I wanted to study economics. I had spent a year in VISTA after college, the Domestic Peace Corps, and knew I wanted someday learn economics. And so when I did eventually return to grad school uh, at the University of Chicago, I was enrolled at the Divinity School, but taking classes in the economics department as well. So when I graduated, I was interviewing for jobs in both fields. And when I would get to a place that I thought would be open, I'd say, you know, what I really would like is a joint appointment. And there were two Catholic universities that offered me a joint appointment, and I chose to join St. John's in Minnesota. And how do you see the, the two fields sort of interacting in your own mind? I mean, do you, or do you have a kind of integrated sense of the findings of both fields? Is, are they two very different ways of thinking about the world? How do you bring them together? That's a good way to put it. They're two very different ways of thinking about the world. Uh, and of course, I experienced that during grad school as I would go back and forth between the social science building and the divinity school building. Um, just a whole different set of assumptions about what counts for evidence, what counts for good procedure, methods, methodology. Um, very different. And, uh, but also part of the intellectual challenge because I, from the very beginning, could see deep insights on both sides that the other just could not register. Uh, and so it's been a fascinating career for me trying to see how to put those two together, how to speak from one side to the other in a way that they can understand, uh, and how to do some integration. So do you see yourself on the one hand trying to bring the resources of the Christian tradition, your own Catholic tradition more specifically, to bear on economic uh, questions, to, to bring that dialogue into the economic field? Um, but also are you, or maybe even more so trying to bring economic thinking into the theology side? I would say both sides. I mean, I have no illusions that, that I'm going to change economics as a discipline. Um, 
it's a huge operation that goes on. And, um, but you know, there are a number of economists that a small proportion of the total, uh, but a number uh, who would call themselves heterodox econ economists and who are themselves critical of the mainstream. Um, many of whom teach ordinary, most of whom would teach ordinary econ classes in addition to maybe a course that they can get permission to teach in their econ department that looks at broader value issues uh, within an economic framework. Um, so there is some of that that's going on. And the same is true on the, on the theology side. There are a number of people who really care about economic issues and uh, who teach courses that raise you know, economic problems and try to think about them theologically. Um, and a small group of people who are doing something like I'm doing, namely operating in both fields uh, in one way or another. I want to get you, you know, speaking to this topic that we've been talking about, and you've been sort of dialoguing with CTI for the last couple of years on this issue of economic inequality. And maybe as a first question, to get you to speak to why is it that this issue has become so prominent, even in the news in the last few years? Well, I think the main reason has become, well, there are two reasons. One is that economic inequality has gotten much worse in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, just empirically, it's the reality. But uh, also, there's been a lot more work by economists on this issue, uh, noticing that it's happening and trying to analyze it. Um, and there was one very particular uh, book by Thomas Piketty, a French economist, uh, that got on the New York Times bestseller list, a massive book, technical, that somehow people were buying. Um, and uh, we, we could talk more about what he said, but the, the point is it's, it's gotten a lot of attention in the press. Uh, and there are a lot more economists dealing with these questions. Uh, and economists can do that because, frankly, there's a lot more data now available that just wasn't available 20 years ago. Uh, taxation data and uh, income data and so forth that um, is available online and in specialized uh, data sets that allow economists to actually make some real empirical progress understanding the problem. Maybe speak a bit about the Thomas Piketty book, Capital in the 21st Century. It came out, I believe, in 2013. And kind of what the reception has been of that in your own field? Well, um, it's, it's gotten a lot of attention. Uh, the the, the punchline, of course, is that the rate of growth of the economy is less than the rate of growth of profit, uh, putting it very uh, briefly. And that seems to imply that as the economy expands, uh, the rich are gonna get richer uh, and they'll have a larger and larger share of total wealth in the nation, unless something's done about that. Uh, and there are things you can do on the taxation side, clearly. But also, uh, just in terms of priorities of governments, uh, more money and effort and regulation could be put into assisting workers uh, and less into assisting owners. Um, that's not been a very popular point of view uh, in Congress, but um, there are options that we have as a society as to how to proceed to try to reduce economic inequality if we really wanted to. And how do we think, you're speaking about the U.S. context, how do we think about that at, at a more global level as well? Well, there's a, certainly a, a characteristic of many developing nations is that there's a highly skewed distribution of income, uh, many worse than the U.S. Um, 
but um, the U.S. is the extreme among the industrialized countries at the extreme end in terms of uh, inequality, whether it's inequality of wealth or income. Um, England is not, Great Britain, not too far behind. Uh, most of the European countries have much less inequality. Uh, Scandinavian countries even less than the average for Europe. Of course, there are debating perspectives as to how to explain all that. Um, but um, it, it's certainly a global phenomenon. How do you think as a theological ethicist about the, the moral issues involved in inequality, economic inequality in particular? Yeah. And, and, and how do you bring you know, theological resources to bear on that? As you know, uh, in the history of Christianity, this is a very recent issue, but it's also true in the history of secular knowledge. Um, we live in a very numerate society. Uh, we each have dozens of numbers that attach to ourselves. Uh, not only do we know our birth date, but our social security number. We have pins for this and that, credit card or ATM, uh, all kinds of, we know the size of our pants. We just live with numbers all the time. And a thousand years ago, people had almost no numbers attached to themselves. People that weren't even sure how old they were. Uh, nobody kept track of time yet. There weren't clocks on the church steeples in the year 1000. Um, and so um, we notice numerical differences in a way that people just didn't and couldn't really uh, 1000 years ago. So the, historically, the Christian concern has been not about inequality, but about poverty. You know, what about the poor and are they getting the, their needs met? Um, and so the tradition up through the 20th century has been about meeting the needs of those whose needs are not met. The re more recent concern for economic, economic inequality itself then has to be subordinate to the concern, are people getting their needs met? But there's also the concern that just the difference, and that's what inequality is, huh? the difference in income between different groups of people the difference itself can have an impact uh, once people are aware of that difference in the sort of modern numerical way, especially if they see it getting worse over time. Um, it can create a kind of sense of disenfranchisement, huh? that I'm being left out of society. I'm being forgotten. I am. Now, of course, the poor have always felt that way. But when we have this extra, more vivid insight, into being left behind compared to most other people, or especially the most wealthy people. There's a sense that the whole system is somehow getting worse and uh, leads to people dropping out, not politically active, uh, and a loss of self-respect. So even though the, the Christian tradition you're saying, historically, the last 2000 years has not thought a lot about this issue, nevertheless, there are resources that can be brought to bear today for a theological ethicists to think through. Yes, one of the elements that has been added to a contemporary Christian thinking about the economy is not just the provision of needs, but also a question of participation. Uh, and of course, one of the most basic ways of participating in the economy is having a job, and that is fundamental to having needs met. But beyond that, a sense of participating in my neighborhood, uh, in my city, in my nation as a voter, as a person who has a uh, right to speak up and to complain if things are going wrong or there are injustice in my life. And of course, this has been a long time in coming. You have to think back to Thomas Hobbes and John Locke and the development of democracy and 
respect for humans as individuals rather than just uh, unnamed parts of a larger society. But more recently, this awareness that it's really important for human dignity to feel a sense of participation, a right to participate and the capacity to participate. And that can be easily undermined by this growing inequality, economic inequality, as people feel that they don't count and don't speak up in a world where ordinary human dignity entails speaking up. I mean, it sounds like one aspect of what you're saying is that economic inequality is a particular problem in a democratic society where participation in the political process is a basic norm. Exactly. Uh, it's part of what we think about when we think of what is a, a fully flourishing person. It's somebody who can go to their local PTA meeting and speak up about their concerns for their kids. That's become a part of our expectation for a fully flourishing human being. And, you know, there wasn't that expectation in the pre-modern world for ordinary people. They were much more passive and, and didn't expect to be able to influence processes. Another change, of course, has been the rise of social science, where we know a lot more about how institutions and organizations work. And that has helped sort of crystallize thinking among not just Christians, but everybody about how the world works when it's working well uh, and where people feel included. Uh, even if they're not as wealthy as other people, they still have the same basic rights, uh, something that does get threatened if you feel like uh, economic inequality has left you on the sideline. So just to highlight one of the points I hear you making is even if we were or are in a situation where baseline, the baseline, say the poverty rate has gone up, economic inequality could still could still be a problem. That is to say, even if there are very few poor people in a society, if there's drastic differences between the extreme wealthy and those who are at the lower end of the distribution, it's still a moral problem. For sure. Yeah. Now, one thing I didn't say, of course, is that globally speaking, uh, inequality has gotten, has improved because of the increase in the well-being of so many people in China and India, especially China. Um, that we're living in absolute poverty, you know, for centuries and now have a sort of a middle-class life in China and elsewhere. So uh, that has improved for them. And I presume, although I don't, I'm no expert on China, that those folks now have a much more positive sense of self and self-respect. Um, but you're right. Uh, if, even if, let's say in the United States, we could reduce the poverty rate significantly, um, those at the, who are left out still are going to have this problem. Um, but if we could meet everyone's needs, surely that would do a lot to improve this sense of self and self-respect, even if there were inequality. And in fact, the inequality would not be so important. Economic inequality would not be so important. If in fact, everyone felt that their needs were met, they could take care of the needs of their children. Uh, including there not just enough calories per day, but a good education and uh, expectation of a good job for their child when they mature and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, I think inequality would be a lot less important uh, if that those guarantees were there for the people at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, focusing on that baseline could still be a good uh, rule of thumb. Yes, I think poverty is still the more fundamental problem. <laughs> no question about that. Um, but it is 
worth recognizing that in economic inequality itself is a problem. Even within the U.S. and not just at a global level, you mean poverty being yes, a more fundamental problem? For sure, yeah. I mean, and, and of course, we're reminded of that these days that in the, the coronavirus difficulty, how fragile the livelihoods of so many people are. That's going to be a huge problem for us going forward. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to raise that as a kind of last question, um, and maybe I'll do a two-parter. One being, where do you see this dialogue on, on economic inequality going? Do you see signs that it's getting traction and there may be uh, forces trying to compromise and come together around uh, solving that issue? And related to that, we've been talking about this this topic, Dan, uh, with you at CTI for a couple of years now. And as you just mentioned, you know, for the last two months, at least, the coronavirus has kind of taken over our, our mental bandwidth, we might say, and it's sort of what we're mainly thinking about. And I, I was just curious how, how you are thinking about your own research uh, in this light. And are you rethinking anything? Is it changing the way you're, you're thinking about some issues? Well, I think for the near future, uh, the next year or two, the issues of meeting people's needs is going to be so vibrant that uh, inequality is going to push back to the background. Right now, we're borrowing trillions of dollars to try to deal with these problems. And eventually, we're going to have to figure out a way to pay for that. It's going to be through taxation. And um, the question there, of course, is then do we have a different attitude toward taxation and tax the rich more than we have been? But it's going to put the whole country on a, a recession basis here. Um, we, we probably are there now already without knowing the data, data yet. And it's going to be a long time coming back. It's, it, these things, every recession is a long time coming back. This is going to be one of the, the most severe. And so uh, it'll be very difficult for a lot of people for a long time. Nobody, even, even when the virus itself is over, uh, it's the usual problem coming out of recession. Uh, if you own a factory that makes refrigerators, you don't want to start up full blast and then find you can't sell them. So you have to put them in a warehouse for a year before you, you're you not going to make a profit that way. And so it's always a very slow, you increase a little bit, then they increase a little bit and so forth. So um, at, even in the best of hopes, it's not very likely to be one of what they call a V, down hard and up hard. It's much more likely to be a long U. Um, and up very slowly. So the pain that people are going to feel is going to be around for a long time. Well, it's sobering conversation, Dan, but I think uh, we still are pushing forward. And thanks for your comments on the, this topic we've been working on and for helping us think through it over these years. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed my time at CTI and the conversations about it. 